White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 588. When I was a child at the edge of the galaxy, I heard stories about a man who could forecast the future. But the story remained dark to me until many years later, until it became my story. Until it became the only story. You're familiar with my work, psychohistory? Every mathematician has read your theory. It's not a theory. It's the future of mankind expressed in numbers. And the Empire won't like the future I predict. History is littered with charlatans and false messiahs. We should kill them. We could murder the man, but what about the movement, brother? Martyrs tend to have a long half-life. His math was right. The Empire is dying. Wars will be endless. <laughs> Thousand worlds reduced to cinders. Change is frightening, especially to those in power. But we can soften the fall. So what's the plan? Many years from now, if humanity is to climb from the ashes, the coming generations will need the knowledge to build upon a foundation. We must preserve only the most essential pieces of civilization. Deciding what is remembered, what is forgotten. We are now staring down a barrel of a crisis. This is the plan. We're not turning around now. sequence started all engines are started we have ignition two one zero we have a liftoff we have a liftoff and it's lighting up the areas it's just like daylight here at kennedy space center the second five is moving off the tail it is now clear to the top We are here to talk about Foundation. John Ringer is with me. John, how are you tonight? Very well, Van. Excited to be here to talk about uh, this interesting TV show. Yeah. we, You and I, obviously, hosts of the AU Wishbone, our football show on this network. Sort of the flagship of the whole network. But we also do the occasional forays into movies and TV and stuff when it's things that you and I are both kind of interested in and excited about. We recently reviewed the Dune movie. 
And this seemed like a natural other topic we would want to... We also reviewed the Eternals movie, by the way, too. And so this seemed like a natural another topic that we would want to kind of geek out a little bit about tonight and get dig into and kind of evaluate it. We'll do, um, you know, maybe the first portion of this spoiler-free with the idea that people that haven't seen the show we can kind of give them a sense of if they want to watch it or not. Because this show, and then in the second half, we'll get into some spoilers for people that have seen the show. But, you know, um, but um, part, of the, part of the thing with this show is it's on Apple Plus. And that's, that's a channel that not a lot of people have. I mean, that's kind of down toward the lower end of numbers, probably. I mean, you know, Disney mm-hmm. and Netflix and Amazon yeah, are up at the top. Yeah. And I mean, I... I I know a number of people that were excited about it in theory, but haven't been able to watch it yet because of that. They're like, I'm not going to add a whole other channel just for this. So I think one of the things that you and I want to do, at least in the first half of this, is give people a sense of, do I want to spend a few extra bucks on this channel just to see Foundation? Or, you know, now that the whole thing is out, get you like a month free trial and and just yeah. binge watch it over a few days. So, um, That's right. So again, spoiler free for right now. Um, kind of what did I want to say? What did you think about the show overall? But I want to say like kind of compared to what you were expecting, if anything. Compared to what I was expecting, um, I I would say the first thing is the production value of the show is incredibly high. Unbelievable! It looks they like a major spent, motion picture. It did. The show looks like a major motion picture. Like the the visuals are awesome. Uh, so in that sense, you know, if you're interested in a, you know, science fiction show that's based on a, a classic science fiction series that where the production value is very high, then I think this would appeal to you. Um, you know, it is science fiction. So obviously if you're listening to Wet Rocket, you're probably, you know, okay with that. But it, it you know, that's the deal going in. If you're not interested in science, you know, science fiction, that's, it's not your bag. So, um, and it's it's but, more it's more like science fiction as opposed to like action adventure in space. It's 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 got yeah. You got to think for some. You know, there's some parts of it that are runny, shooty, spaceshipy, zappy, but a lot of it is yeah. like thinking person's SF. Yes, yeah, very very much. The uh, yeah. When I say science fiction, I mean the traditional yeah. science fiction. We're, we're thinking about the future of you know human civilization and what it could look like and what that means and how things would be different and whatever. And so and thinking about big things, you know, it, and then using the science fiction story to kind of lay them out. It's, yeah. Know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was Asimov. I think the story goes that he was on his way to pitch something to Joe, uh, Joseph, um, not Joseph W. Campbell, but um, the, the editor of astounding and mm-hmm. He didn't have anything. <laughs> I think he had like he had an idea, but he ended up thinking it wasn't going to work. And so on the way to the meeting, he's just like, uh, 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 Roman Empire in space. And it kind of came from there, right? Roman Empire. Well, what happens to Roman Empire? It falls. The barbarians take over. You get the Dark Ages. You have barbarian armies sacking Rome, right? You have the Dark Ages. So he kind of said, well, what if there had been a group that could have brought the Renaissance after a hundred years rather than a thousand years, basically. And he just kind of extrapolated that out. Okay. And then some other stuff. All right. So going into it, I kind of, well, we got to, let's establish this first. Had you read the books, the core three, let's not worry about the other stuff. Had you read the core three books? I, I believe I did. But again, I read, I, I read these books like in 
mm-hmm. in the 1980s. Right. Okay. Right. So I did not remember anything. Right. Going into the TV show. Well, the sense I get. All right. I've I read the first one a couple of times over the years. Like you say, once in high school, maybe, and then again more recently. Never got into the first one enough to want to just devour the whole trilogy or the whole series. I just thought it was like, it's okay. I mean, you know, the critique of Asimov is he has great ideas, but kind of pedestrian execution. So therefore, a lot of these first three books are old white dudes smoking cigars, sitting around boardrooms, arguing with each other about galactic politics. And if that, you know, if if galactic bureaucracy... (laughs) You are selling it. Uh, you know, if galactic bureaucracy circa 1950, like mad men rule the galaxy, you know what I mean? If that's your idea of fun, then you'll love these books, but especially the first one. But I didn't. And I'm just like, you know, where's the space battles? Where's the fun? It's all, everything happens off screen. It's all people talking. And so I never got into them. Well, I did get through the first one because the first one's basically a bunch of short stories and with the same theme, right? And so... When I watched the series, it intrigued me enough, because I really enjoyed the series, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, that I bought the second book, and I read it. Excuse me, I got the hiccups. I read it and really enjoyed it. And then I went and got the third book, and I'm about 30 pages into the third book now. And there's a certain character that shows up in the second and third book that we'll get into in the spoilers that is makes it very much fun and very interesting. Very, It, it shakes things up a lot from where it was, and that's... I want this TV series to continue long enough to get to that fun stuff later in the trilogy. Now, quickly about the other books, I think that a lot of the stuff we're seeing in this first season that doesn't come from the first book, some of it comes out of David Goyer's imagination, and that's fine because it needed it, right? It needed a little spice. You couldn't just have boardrooms with guys smoking cigars. But um, some of it, I think, comes from the later books, which are like prequels, and they just went ahead and mined the prequels and sprinkled some of that in. So, um, so basically, let's kind of up front then give it a go, no go. Should people watch this or not? If you like science fiction, yes. Yeah. Yes, you should definitely watch it. On a, all right, let's say this up front. On a scale of 1 to 10 as something you watch on TV and are compelled to go tune in the next week, where would you put this? I'm just trying to give people a sense I, of do I want to get this or not? Do I want to invest? There's so much out there right well, now, I, right? Well, and, and this is the other part of investment, okay? Mm-hmm. There's one season out there right now. There's yep. a lot more seasons coming down the road. We so, hope. <laughs> right. So they're making season two. Yeah, definitely making season two. But 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 when I say invest your time, it's some people don't want to invest their time when they're like, oh, I'll wait till season two is coming out and then watch season one, watch season two as it goes, or, or they're both out. I'll wait. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think it's it's that. I think if you enjoy science fiction, you should watch it. But I also get the time value of now versus then kind of thing. And there's so much. There's some shows that drives that drives me crazy. The waiting part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm in. I'm you know, just as soon as Foundation ended, we got Wheel of Time, basically. And I've been I've been anxiously awaiting new episodes of Wheel of Time the way I was anxiously awaiting new episodes of Foundation. And honestly, I'm enjoying Wheel of Time about the same level as I enjoy Foundation, which is it's not the greatest thing ever. It's not it's not Mandalorian and Baby Yoda level, but it's not mm-hmm. way below it's not way, way below there. And here's the thing about Foundation. They released the first two episodes up front, but unfortunately, I feel, we'll see what you think. The first two episodes are like the most, the slowest, 
most plodding because they're trying to build the world and lay everything out. And some things happen, but not a lot. To me, the show really doesn't get going until about the fifth or sixth episode of how many ever they're like 10. And by the end, it's cranking. Mm -hmm. So if the first two kind of feel slow, just understand it, it, this show picks up pace every episode, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a good thing to tell people is don't watch the first episode or two and then be like, Oh, this is so boring. I can't believe I'm into this. So I think if you're going to do it, stick with it a little bit because it'll be worth it. Yeah. The first episode has a lot of politics in it. Like here's the emperor or the three, the Trinity emperor, you know, the, the genetic dynasty. And here's Harry Seldon and he's kind of plotting something. We don't know exactly what he's up to. And here's Gail, his apprentice, you know, and we don't know exactly what her agenda is. And they kind of go around in circles and do some stuff and argue. And that's more or less it. There's a little action stuff. That's about it. Um, but I mean, by the middle of the season though, you've got the, basically the, I don't want to give anything away other than just to say, you've got like you've got the potential for violence and conflict showing up and things ramp up dramatically in terms of the stakes and the action and battles and stuff. So that was pretty cool. Um, okay, so compared to the books, we I, I'll put it this way. I think this is an improvement over the books. I, I am, I'm not a person that holds these books as sacred text the way, say, I would Tolkien. Right, I would have been mad at Peter Jackson if he had changed much more of Lord of the Rings. But I'm like, to David Goyer, my message is change whatever you got to change. Make this a more exciting and more um, inviting story that pulls us in. Are you okay with him changing it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Again, I think there's some source, as you said, there's some source material that's so good, you don't, you know, you just use it, deploy right. it, you know. And there's some source material that. You got there's pieces of it that are great, but you got to right. add some spice and you got to you got to change things around a little bit to make it maximum effectiveness in 2021. And and I I get that in this case. I honestly feel like if Asimov were still alive, he would be like, oh yeah, add whatever you know, spice it up however you want, because he would under he was a smart guy. He would understand you know that yeah it it needs it needs more stuff going on than just. Look at this clever solution we came up with to the latest crisis. Oh, look at that. We came up with a clever idea, usually involving nuclear power, right? He's really hung up on <laughs> everything as they're like, I swear, yeah. there's, there's like, in the 60s. there's, yeah, well, yeah, there's, there's like chapters in, founda in the foundation books where they're like, our toothbrushes are better because we have nuclear powered toothbrushes, you know, and you're just like, okay. Oh, Okay, I guess, Isaac. Um, yeah, very much a product of its time that way. So, you know, instead of nuclear power, the show makes it much more about, like, nanomachines and kind of Star Wars almost level technology. Things float and fly and travel through space. They have suspended animation and everything. So, And see, to, by the way, to me, that's one of the things that I find most intriguing about this show is that they really bring in a lot of advanced technology in different areas and just show it to us, and these people just use it like we use our technology. Right? We don't sit around going, I shall get out my nuclear-powered smartphone and use it to contact you know, my neighbor. No, they're just like they get in their spaceship, it, it jumps through hyperspace or whatever, you know, it's no big deal. They have... They have um, uh, being frozen in time, basically, they don't age. Yeah. They have cloning. They have all these cool technologies that are just totally taken for granted. And and by the way, 
I heard an interview with David Goyer, the the showrunner and and main writer, basically, the other day, and somebody asked him, "Is the technology at this point that we see in the show is this like the pinnacle of technology that they've had, or is it already kind of peaked and on the way down?" And Goyer basically said they had better technology than they have now, and they are stagnant, and they've lost. They've already lost some stuff by the time the show starts. I thought that was really interesting. What do you mm-hmm. make of that? I, I I buy it. Yeah, seeing the the show, and I think it's again it, the show is about an, an empire at the end of its run, mm-hmm. kind of getting stagnant and stuff, and so the. You know, if that kind of thing appeals to you, it's another reason to watch. But it's also like the idea that they're not this, you know, innovative, uh, you know, cutting edge kind of group anymore. That they're kind of more into, you know, let's make flower gardens and don't make change anything because we like it just the way it is kind of thing. So Stagnation is a big theme of this show. The Empire seems all powerful and omniscient and all, you know, and everything. And yet they are not only stagnant technologically and socially, the emperor himself represents stagnation in that they've been stuck on the same emperor generation after generation by recloning the same one. Let's talk for a second about, and this isn't really going to give away anything other than just how it's kind of structured. Let's talk for a second about the, what they call the genetic dynasty. How quickly did you figure out what that, because they, again, they kind of, you're kind of introduced to the to Brother Dawn, Brother Day, and Brother Dusk, and you don't at first know exactly who they're supposed to be. This would be Lee Pace and the old guy and the young and the young kid. And it took me a minute to figure out where they were going. And then I'm yeah. like, oh, interesting. What did what did you how did you react to that? The same. Like I wasn't sure what they were doing with the three of them at first, but then you got it, and it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. You know, that there was an original emperor and they're his clones and they you know learn the same things every time it is stagnation That's stagnation yes they're, they're not gaining new experience they never do anything else they never go anywhere else they're learning and doing the same things all the time they even make clear later on that they don't even leave the planet trantor the capital yeah 100 percent. that's right yeah they, they're just stuck there so it's like a big shock or a scandal when one of them wants to go somewhere and um, I like too that they're different ages. Like they always, they always have three, imp- three versions of the mm-hmm. emperor. So the the one that's just been born or hatched or whatever is Brother Dawn. The one that is a mature adult, probably in his thirties or whatever, is Brother Day. And he seems to be kind of the one in nominal control, right? He he is the one who who has the most authority. Yeah, he's the one who's who the other two defer to. And then the. Time. And then once he's older and they kind of step up the, the next generations, he becomes Brother Dusk. And the sense I get is Brother Dusk acts as kind of like a wise advisor to his younger self. Brother Day is the decision maker. And Brother Dawn is like the apprentice learning. He has the, he has the genetics and everything, but he has to learn how to be Brother Day, right? Brother Dawn's job is to learn how to be Brother Day. Brother Dusk's job is to help Brother Day make good decisions based on his own experiences. And I really like that for a couple of reasons. One, I like it, it gives you a, a consistent 
bad guy, basically. I guess he's kind of a bad guy, though in some ways he's kind of a victim of his own system. I like that nobody, you know, there's a lot of gray. There's not a lot of bad, or, you know, everybody's just kind of shades. Even, I mean, even Harry Seldon's kind of gray. That's the Jared Harris character. But anyway, so it gives you a consistent villain, more or less, all the way through, because no matter which brother, dawn, day, or dusk you have, it's the same actor, right? Um, but yeah, also... Yeah. They change that. Yeah. That's interesting. They change over time. Yes, it's the same actor. <laughs> this the first time they did that blew my mind because I had just kind of come to grips with okay, um, Lee Pace is this one and this. Then there's this guy and there's this guy, and you suddenly and then it skips ahead like thirty years or something, and there's two brother Dusks and a brother day, and there's no brother dawn. There's no young one. There's the middle one and two old ones. And I'm kind of like, wait, what's going on? And then they basically remove the oldest of the two older ones from the picture. And so you have to realize, oh, brother day is the guy we were seeing as the kid before. He's grown. Brother dusk was brother day. And you're learning their personalities, so now Brother Dusk has the personality that Lee Pace had earlier. It, I know it. I don't mean to sound confusing to our listeners, but it really is a. It's it's one of the more clever parts of the entire show. It's not my favorite part of the show. And by the way, this really is a show that's compartmentalized into several sort of separate storylines. And you, what did you think? Did it bug you that it kind of jumps back and forth among different, different, completely separate storylines? And well, they kind of merge in some places. Or did you think that was all right? No, I mean again because you see the impact of one storyline on another at yeah. different times. So I was fine with it. Yeah. Well, the other storyline again, not to do spoilery, but just to give a sense of it. The other major sort of storyline is, and if, if this is obviously, if you know anything about the books, is that Harry Seldon is is sent to Terminus with some of his people that are going to start the Foundation. And um, we we have uh, a couple of female characters that kind of move to the front, both uh, uh, presumably African-American, maybe they're British, I don't know, but uh, black women, basically. Both of them really interesting that are operating it like in different places and times. And both of them, I think, are wonderful actors and are very interesting in bringing kind of a more youthful energy to their storylines that could otherwise just be Jared Harris sitting around on a computer all the time. And so I really enjoy the uh, that other side, right? I mean, the, it's the, the Genetic Dynasty storyline is interesting, but it's almost like its own show. And then when they go off to Terminus and we see Salver Harden, and we also have this, the scenes with Gail, I, I really enjoy those too. I mean, where do you, how do you feel, feel in terms of those, how they fit in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, but also because there's a lot, there's sometimes a lot more action on that storyline too. Yes, and the other one is a lot of the old guy, the emperor <laughs> talking to people thing. So talking to himself, basically arguing with himself. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. three of himself sitting in a back room smoking cigars. There, there it is. Yes, yeah, it fits right in with uh, Asimov now. Um, okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I want to echo something you said a minute ago, though. Quick, by the way, which is that. Um, yeah, the visuals, the effects, this thing ought to win an Emmy. I don't know what show it would go up against. Hopefully the Book of Boba Fett will look really, really good. We're certainly hoping so, and I'm sure we'll talk about that one soon. But um, but this show just looks so good, and I think they've been able to get a lot out of it for the money. I know that David Goyer has said 
that in the few places in season one that it was kind of confusing what was going on, he says, yeah, I know it was confusing. We ran out of money and we couldn't film anymore. So we just kind of had to hope it made sense the way it was. I'm like, okay, so they really are putting every cent that they have from Apple up there on the screen. It's all up there, you know, and and you can tell. Yeah, no, it, it, it is very, very high quality in terms of the what they what they did. So. Yeah. If you're if you're concerned about a science fiction show that looks like it's filmed on a shoestring, that is not the problem. It it is not Doctor Who or Babylon Five. In other words, I, I love Doctor Who and Babylon Five. I do a whole podcast on Babylon Five, but Babylon Five was filmed in a in a uh, hot tub warehouse, and there are times that you can tell. I mean, Andy and I talk about this almost every week that it we we love it for that, right? That that we have affection for it for that. But there's times Andy and I are like, "Man, I wish they could have just thrown a couple more bucks up there and made it not look like ply, you know, spray-painted plywood. Foundation does not look like <laughs> spray-painted ply. Imagine if Babylon 5 looked like Foundation, people would just be on the floor. So, it's the opposite end of the spectrum from that. Yeah. Man. Yes. I was gonna say, the, the opposite end is the uh, the Sci-Fi Channel productions of Dune or whatever. So. Oh yeah, yeah. If there's ever if there's ever been a, a big science fiction epic that it looked like the same costume designer not only designed everybody's costume but sewed them all that day, it was the first Dune that Sci-Fi Channel did. It's a brilliant script, but man, it looked it looked, it just looked so fake. Um, all right, let's go ahead and go into spoiler territory then, and get into just some specifics here in our last in our second half. Um, so, if you haven't watched it yet, I think John and I have made it very clear that we really like the show and we recommend it. And again, if you don't want to spend the money to permanently subscribe to Apple Plus, you know, get a free trial or something and just watch the first several episodes. And again, get past these, get past episode two, get past episode two, and I think it gets better and better. As it goes along, so all right, we talked a little bit about the genetic dynasty um, and the idea that it kind of lets you have the same villains over time, which is interesting. I want to ask you about the sort of the main character at first. What did you think about Jared Harris at playing Harry Seldon? Um, I think my feeling cha- about him changed over the show, mm-hmm. right, uh, from one episode to the other. Fair um, enough. I mean, from the beginning to the end. I guess I liked him more at the beginning and less at the end, maybe. <laughs> Does that make sense? Why is that? Why do you suppose? I mean, just because he revealed what his motives were at the end, you know, what, what the, how he kind of deceived people. Yeah. You're not actually here to make an encyclopedia. <laughs> You're here to conquer the galaxy. Good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, that's. Yeah, basically- like I, I. That's. And I'm sorry, but these people really, really really, really, really believed in you. And they put them and their families' lives on the line, and a bunch of people died, and then he's like, yeah, I wasn't really telling you the truth about what you were doing out here. And I would be like, I kiss my rear end. And <laughs> and no kidding. And, and I mean, and it, and it part of it, too, is that the people he's got there have made, themselves, made it so obvious that they're pretty hapless. I mean, if not, yes. for, if not for basically the accident that was Salver Hardin, and and her boyfriend Hugo, they've been screwed. Yeah, yeah, they're dog meat without them. Yeah, without Salver and Hugo. And uh, yeah, I I want to while we're talking about Harry Seldon, I want to talk about the concept of Harry Seldon's academic career. 
Okay. And, and the idea that it's of psycho history, you're an academic. I, you know, <laughs> we spent a lot of time in graduate school. We've read a lot of papers. The idea that he can use math to predict societal behavior mm-hmm. this way, I thought was entertaining, but also, okay, that's, you're into science fiction now. Yeah. Well, that was the that was one of the high concepts back in the fifties when when Asimov wrote this was the idea that because sure. I mean Asimov is writing this at the same time roughly that um, what's his name is coming uh, uh coming up with Scientology that you can control people's psychology and emotions with the freaking Dianetics and everything L Ron Hubbard you know so yeah ah uh, you know and, it's. And they- and they're also they're thinking about like Rand Corporation and stuff is out, and they're thinking like we can really mm-hmm. operationalize the math and mm-hmm. use it to predict things. But I, so that part I think is just entertaining to think about. But well, now this the other thing that's interesting about it is they make it clear over and over he's not predicting people's behavior. It has to be really big numbers of people, and and there's a flaw in it too, right? He's he's predicting. People, the the actions and movements of people on a scale larger than we could even study right now on Earth, because we only have, you know, seven billion people or whatever. You need a galaxy full of people for it to work. So I'm I'm willing to to you know that's kind of wink and nod and wave your hand. That's cool, but also they make it clear it cannot predict individual behavior. And so a Hitler, a Napoleon coming along throws it for a loop. And that's where the story gets so interesting because in the second book, in the second half of the second book, we get a character that is the Napoleon, the Professor X, um, the Emperor of Warhammer 40K, basically, or 30K, really, um, the Mule. And that's who I'm dying to see because now that I know this show is really good quality and is going to do it all right, I can't wait for the mule to show up because it's going to go off the chain as the kids say at that point. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, the the other thing about Harry Seldon's research is that it can't predict the behavior of large groups of people when they know about his research and it's influencing their decisions. That's a good point too. Yeah. 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 Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that, there are kind of messes him up. There, there are limitations and caveats to it for sure. Yeah, um, but I like the fact that can't it can't account for individuals, and an individual shows up and, and screws it all up. But he, this is what's great though, is that Harry accounts for not being able to account for the individual, and he accounts for someone with mental rather than physical powers showing up, and that's the second foundation. He's still working behind the scenes, right? Because. When the foundation learns they're not an encyclopedia company, they're a they're a future galactic empire. They still don't know about the second foundation because it has to remain secret. You know, and speaking of Babylon Five, Babylon Five did a very interesting episode at the end of season four that we're still a long way from Andy and me talking about, but it's a it's one I've watched a million times called the Deconstruction of Falling Stars. And just for our purposes, really quickly, what it argues is there's a scene, you know, obviously the entire Babylon 5 show is about a handful of people making a difference on the galactic scale. John Sheridan and Delenn and the others, they make a difference as individual operators. They change the fate of the galaxy. And on this, on this one episode, they go like 20 years in the future, and there's like these news analysts, like at CNN, sitting around arguing 
oh, well, John Sheridan, he didn't really do all that. It was actually the great tides of, of history, the great the masses that did that. People say that he kind of saved the galaxy and defeated the shadows or whatever, but one man couldn't have done all that, you know. It had, and they're all like, oh, yeah, it was the great tides of, you know, there's no, the whole great man theory of history is discredited and it couldn't have been him, right? And and in the middle of that conversation, Delenn, who's like 150 years old, walks in with her walking stick and says, John Sheridan was a great man. And then she leaves and they're all just like sitting around looking at each other. And I'm like, I love everything about that scene, except that she should have said, and he did all of that and it's recorded and it's all, there's video, check the records, you know. But I love the idea that as soon as something that an individual does happens and the individual is gone, there's always going to be the, um, the analysts, the, the pundits that are going to start saying, no, it didn't happen that way. I mean, you know, in Foundation, there's going to be people saying, oh, Harry Seldon didn't do anything. He didn't know anything, you know. So I really like that. I mean, there's, that's, again, that just shows you how influential Foundation has been, that it has impacted everything from, you know, Dune to Babylon 5 to basically everything else. And, you know, it pioneered the Galactic Empire. You know, before mm-hmm. Star Wars, before, you know, Dune, whatever, before anything, this was the first really galactic empire in science fiction. You know, before this, people jumped in rocket ships and went to Mars or Planet X. After this, you had viable, realistic civilizations that, that covered vast star systems, you know. So, okay, well, that was my little rant. Um, That's good. Let's see. Um, we talked about talked about that. Demerzel and the robot. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. Demerzel and the other robots. Did what was your reaction to her being a robot and apparently being eleven thousand years old or whatever? Anything? A, I think it's really cool. B, I hundred percent think she's a bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, awesome. I, there's no doubt in my mind that every time something happens, I'm like, oh, she's behind it. She's playing the long game to bring the Empire down and bring the robots back. I don't trust her at all. Not for a second. Talk about the long game. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, the the genetic dynasty from a human standpoint seems like it's been around forever. They've only been around like what a couple hundred years or something. I think not long. They're like no, no. They're like Cleon the fourteenth and fifteenth or something. They're not like Cleon the eight hundredth or the nine thousandth. They're they're like numbered sequentially, and these guys are like. Fairly low digits. I don't think they've been around that long. I keep going. I'm, I'm looking. Okay. I, I don't think they've been around that long, but she. I think she's been around like 11,000 years. So she yeah. she was ancient before the Cleonic dynasty, I guess we can call it, ever came along. That's my understanding is that when when they took out, when, when Cleon the first took over, he was not the first emperor. He's the emperor that decided he never wanted to step down, basically, right? There were emperors before him. He's the one that said, I'm not handing this off to any sons or daughters. I'm just going to keep coming back. And she kind of went, okay, cool. I'll help you out. But she was around a long time before the first Cleon was, is my understanding. And I like your, uh, I like your determination that she's behind a lot of the bad stuff. And two, two things to ask you about for that. Okay. She kills Brother Dawn, which I know we're kind of going backwards, but we're talking about her. That was shocking, right? Yeah. Did you see that coming, or did that just confirm your existing biases or theories? I, I, 
it was shocking that she did it without being told to do it, or when they said don't kill him, and then she yes. killed him. Yes. So the, uh, the level of control they think they have is not what they have. So again, that's just confirmed. Again, the fact that she's this eleven thousand year old robot who's really invested in this galactic religion. Oh that yeah. Is not reaffirming galactic dynasty just makes me think it even more like she's thinking about other stuff and it's not what can i do to help them and then the other moment yeah you're exactly right i think and then the other moment is when she gets frustrated later and like pulls her face off and starts screaming and i'm like that's a little disturbing (laughs) that's a little concerning you know i mean i hope she has a spare skin suit in the closet or something because if she shows up in if she shows up in season two looking like Metropolis, you know, uh, that's a no. little just no. She's gonna Terminator. she's gonna put it back on. It's part of the, you know, she can. It's in private. She can let her face out and scream, and then she'll put it back together and go, you know, pretend to be the helper. Well, theoretically, she can't violate orders. And one theory was she killed Brother Dawn because the other two had not yet ordered her not to, and she thought they were about to. She thought Brother Day was about to say, don't kill him, leave him alone. And so she's like, before he can do it, she breaks his neck. Does that make sense? Or do you think she would have done it yeah, regardless? Yeah, 100%. I, I, I like that. I like that. Okay. All right, cool. Um, Gail. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to go back to the emperors for a minute and, yeah. and talk about the comparison between the genetic clone dynasty and the god emperor of Dune. Oh, Yeah. Uh, in book four, I really thought about this a lot when the show was going on mm-hmm. uh, because it's the same kind of thing, right? Uh, it really hard to kill, builds a galactic empire. The goal is different, right? Like they, they're creating stagnation, but in Dune, he's thinking he's trying to release, build up pressure to release it to uh, to undo the stagnation to make mm-hmm. us because really they were kind of stagnant when he took power or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other side, they're just trying to keep, you know, they're trying to put the universe into a, you know, like a snow globe and keep it the way they want it. That's right. Um, but I, but the same thing, like people are trying to kill them and undermine them and they always know about it and they, you know, they wipe out the insurgents and laugh at them. And, um, you know, so that, that, that kind of stuff I thought was just an interesting comparison for me. Yeah, no, that really is. Um, and I do like the idea they both... They both represent one person who thinks not only should I be in charge, I should be irreplaceable, right? Mm-hmm. In 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 the in the, the genetic dynasty, I'll just keep replacing myself with myself with clones, and with Leto, I'm just going to make myself where I don't die for a really long time. And yep. so, um, yeah, in both cases, it really is a big, big ego hubris. But for, yeah, like you said, for kind of opposite directions, that's interesting. All right, I want to talk for a second about Gale and Salver. They have mental powers, don't they? I mean, clearly there's more going on. It took me by surprise because at first I was like, I didn't think this show was going to go there. I thought this was like a tech, tech mm-hmm. a techie show. But then as I'm reading Second Foundation, I'm realizing the Second Foundation is more of like a Professor X group than they are. You know, in other words, mental powers as compared to physical powers. And so mm-hmm. I think this is foreshadowing the Second Foundation against the mule. Okay. Um, and again, like we see Gail and her mental powers, basically kind of prescience, seeing mm-hmm. things before they happen mm-hmm. and being able to avoid them, adapt to them, be prepared for them. Mm-hmm. And it causes her problems in the show. Right. But it also is a big advantage for her. Um, yep. So that, 
yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, and and the show refers to the second foundation, and Harry is going there on the ship, but they don't really say there's a second foundation. Yeah, they, he just, says he's going to his home planet or whatever, but I don't think they Pelican. say like. I think he, maybe he does say it, but we don't know the nature of it. Like he right. says, there's another foundation over here. That's where we're going. Okay. Yeah, but nobody knows the location, so that might have been thrown off because he his home planet's Helicon, and. I don't think no spoiler here. I just I don't think that's where the second foundation is. But it might be where they want people to think it is. Because again, the second okay. foundation is all about misdirection and mm-hmm. obfuscation. So, um, Gail and Salver, I thought they were really interesting. Though they have some kind of special powers. Her uh, Salver's power is she's able to not be affected by the by the vault. About which I got to say mm-hmm. in, a, in a second. But um, because of her genetic connection to Gale, because it was supposed to be Gale. Gale was yes. supposed to basically be their leader, and she doesn't end up going, which was kind of a shock to the hologram Harry. I thought that was an interesting twist. And that's all, like, that's all David Goyer. That's not Asimov. Yeah. No, that part was creative, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their, their, their genetic connection, their family connection, and that they basically Salver ends up being able to do a lot of the things Gail was supposed to do and doesn't realize it. She kind of has to figure it out for herself, which is interesting. Yeah, no, and I like Salver's character. I think she gets mm-hmm. a lot of the interesting parts mm-hmm. of the story um, and and kind of the fun, exciting action parts. So I liked her character a lot. I think she had some good stuff. So. Yeah, in the books, it's a guy, and he's basically the mayor of Terminus and solves a crisis just by kind of being creative. This mm-hmm. and I know that some people have complained that this Salver, the one in the book, is like he doesn't like violence, he doesn't like weapons, his weapons are the last refuge of the dumb or something, the ignorant, you know, whatever, and that's fine. But this Salver is younger. I, I have defended her on the grounds that maybe she'll come to feel that way by season three or something, but right now she's basically a, a teenager, you know, or in her early 20s, mm-hmm. but really, really sharp and much more interesting to me than the books. <laughs> She, because she has a lot going on and is very interesting. Um, um, what do you think about the time jumping? I did not expect time. It's not time travel, but it kind of is, right? It's like one way time travel. There, right, let's put it this way: there's a really good Werner Vinge book called um, Marooned in Real Time, and in it, they don't have time machines. They basically have like stasis bubbles, and you get in and set the time for however long you want the stasis bubble to be working. And when it switches off, no time has passed for you and you go outside the bubble and how much ever time you want it has passed. So you can't go back, but you can keep mm-hmm. jumping forward. And that's kind of what they're doing, right? They, they don't have time machines, but when they get in their little stasis capsules on these ships, they're jumping forward in time. They are. I mean, it's Newtonian physics, right? It takes whatever because the some of the big ships have like basically the jump drive, the warp drive mm-hmm. thing, where they can go between planets very quickly, and it's still right. not overnight, but it's fast. Yeah. And if you don't, the little ones don't have that, so it's like, yeah, it's still going to take you 138 years or whatever, or mm-hmm. 2,000 years, or whatever, to get to this place. And you're like, okay, so I, I'm going to lay down to go to sleep. I'll wake up when I get there. And you're right. Then it is kind of forward time travel because of that. It's but just at least a, that's the kind of forward time travel I'm I, it makes sense to me, right? Cuz yeah. 
We know that's possible because we do it all the time. Yes, <laughs> literally. That's right. But it, it, but it does. It's interesting in the way they deploy it because you have people coming from different times using that and in intersecting. So yeah, and it, that part yeah, is and, interesting. And the thing they did with Salver again, spoiler. We're in the spoiler space now. Yeah. So the thing they did with Salver and Gale at the end of the last episode, yeah. I thought was brilliant. Which is you, you. It, it's a little implausible, right? That they both wind up at the same place at the same time. But I like that you're able to bring characters from two different timelines together because of that and, yes. um, and let them meet. Well, and one of them got there, I don't know, 100 years before the other one or something. Right. And, yeah. And, but then they were together. So it, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, is that one had, one had a more flexible awakening date than the other. So <laughs> she, Gail, I thought it was neat that Gail actually found Salver rather than the other way around, you know. Salver goes looking for whoever, and, and Gail ends up finding her. So that's cool. But I really like them both. What did you think, by the way, speaking of Gail, last thing I'm going to say about Gail and Salver, what did you think about that whole religious world and community that Gail came from? I mean, did you find it interesting or kind of tedious? I'm curious. I thought it was interesting just because of, again, a lot of the show is about science and science fiction, and it's a world that where the they reject that. and mm-hmm. But also the idea that, she was an outcast and taught herself math there and stuff. I, I thought that was good. Um, but also the fact that they ignored science and then ended up wiping them out, too. Was, you know, a little, a little on the news for a lot of stuff. But I thought that was good. That, that summed it up for me, which is that I was like 50-50. All the stuff said on the water planet with the religious fanatics, I was 50-50 on it. I was 50%... This is really interesting. I totally believe that there could be, you know, a, a, a society like this. They're a bunch of idiots. They're going to die off because they reject climate change or whatever. Yeah, you're right. It was really right on the nose. Yeah. But I was 50%. Oh, man, not those people again. I really don't want anything else <laughs> not to do. Not more of that. Not more. I, yeah, a little goes a long way. Put it that way. Yeah. Ugh. Um, okay. Uh, let's see what we want to talk about. The, the 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 barbarian tribes the Anac- I love the name the anacreons right like anachronisms and the other people whose names I don't even remember and don't care um, they were interesting I guess they're supposed to represent like the Germanic barbarians coming across the Rhine right and they're also yes and and the and the analogy works because it's also like the you know we had the the terrorist activity and then the emperor nuked them yeah both planets oh, yeah. And so, and again, when, and, you know, one of them was like, no, don't do it, do it. And he went, and don't do it. And the other one was like, do it. And you know, Brother Dusk was like, don't do it, don't, you know, don't do it. Let's show some clemency and mercy here. And the other guy was like, nuke him. So hmm. uh, the fact that they did that, and then it's this long term kind of what happens. And, and you created these two races of people who were just going to hate you for the ends of time. Um, you know, I think that was interesting. Um, but they hate each other. They blame each other. Their old feud, uh, and, 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 and the people in Terminus get caught in the middle. And, and exactly. And why do they blame each other? I thought this was super interesting. Do you remember why they blame each other? I can't remember. <sighs> because Harry comes out at the end in the hologram and says the Emperor was worried about, was scared of both of you. Oh, yeah. So he lied and told each of you the other did something bad when it was really him. Yeah. So you shouldn't uh, hate each yeah. other. You need to team up against the emperor. Now, maybe Harry's making that up, right? Because what's he trying to do? He's trying to put together an army to go against the emperor. 
But it also, if you've seen The Emperor, I buy it 100%. Oh, yeah. I buy it. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying, because you've already made the point that we can't trust Harry as much as we thought we could. So there is the possibility he's just manipulating them like he manipulated everybody else. I wouldn't be surprised. Sure. But on the other hand, it is certainly a very plausible argument that he makes, that they're just screwing around with somebody else, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um Man, they did just nuke the living crap out. But you, you also raised an interesting point. I was talking a while ago about the genetic dynasty. I thought I was done with them. I want to say one more thing. This, you know when I said that time had passed and you realize suddenly that the actors are the same, but it's the different mm-hmm. people now? This is hard to explain, but I think I can – what you said just now, I think I can explain it a little more clearly. Early on, let's just – I'm going to put it in – this may not be entirely accurate, but it's going to get my point across. Early on, Brother Day is kind of the a-hole. Okay. Then later, Brother Dusk is the a-hole. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Why is he acting that way? You see what I'm saying, right? Why is why is the old guy suddenly the jerk and the and the middle one suddenly nicer? And then you realize because the middle one isn't the guy anymore, he's the old guy, and the kid who is nice is now Brother Day. So Brother Day is now not Lee. I, and I give these character, I give these actors so much yeah. credit because Lee yeah. Pace has to go from playing a hole emperor to playing nice emperor, and the old guy has to go from being wise counsel to the a hole that's now older. That's <laughs> it, it's true. They're playing the same character and that it's brother dusk or whatever and the same yeah. actor is doing the same role but they're a different person mm-hmm. with a different personality and so they have to shift up i had thought about it that way that's good yeah yeah i mean because lee, lee pace looks the same sounds the same dresses the same but he's the guy that was the kid the last time we saw them it's and 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 on you know to the old guy that just took my legs out from under me. And I'm like, man, this is smarter than I even realized it was. This is cool. So, yeah, I, I again, it's not my favorite part of the show, but I give it credit for, in some ways, being the most interesting part of the show in, in ways. Yes. So, sure. Um, uh, oh, we got to talk the, about. What about the, the plotters against yeah. the emperor on, the, on the, their home planet? What do you think about that? What, did you see that coming? That blew me away. I did not. I that 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 you know the whole time he's flirting with the young woman who's the mm-hmm. gardener, and they're going to run away together. But nah, mm-hmm. it's a setup. She's a bad guy. They're just oh, getting yeah. him out of the palace, and now it's near, and they've got a replacement already grown. I did not see that coming. No, no, and the and the replacement is kind of like an a hole. <laughs> We're back to that again, but yeah. <laughs> but he's, no, he's like. I'm the bad guy, Brother Dawn, and I'm going to get in there and tear things up. So Take your place, and we're going to bring also, it all in. The, the, the more interesting part to me was that they had tinkered with the genetic material already. Mm-hmm. So he really wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the same as them. He had colorblindness. He had other issues. Left-handed. He, they were supposed to be exact copies, mm-hmm. and now they're not exact copies. Mm-hmm. And maybe they haven't been exact copies for a while. That's that cover well. That was the question I had: was how much was the current brother Day having to pretend? Like he maybe maybe like Brother Dusk when he was younger, he's like, oh, I have a little something going on. I better not tell anybody. And then Brother Day, oh, I've got a couple of things going. On, I better not tell anybody. Then you get to this Brother Dawn, and he's like, I got all kinds of crap going on. Oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. I got to get out of here. What? Well, or maybe other Brother Dawns have been born and moved along, but they 
showed some variation and they killed him and then hashed another one. Maybe it's happened before that way. Could have been, yeah. He certainly, Brother Dawn that had the, the changes, he certainly seemed concerned about what would happen if they found out. He wasn't and like, I, hey, 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 older brother, check it out. I'm left-handed. No, he's like, I've got to figure out how to use my right hand very quickly. I got to sign my name with my right hand. So yes. I, um, I also like, you know, the we talked about the kind of the stagnation of the technology and stuff. Like just mm. the fact that a lot of this goes back to like the start, the space elevator, star bridge thing mm-hmm. was destroyed by the terrorists and that did all this damage to the planet. And they didn't really do anything about it. Do you know what I'm saying? No, that's like, right. They destroyed his people's lives, and they were kind of like, man, you know. They didn't even repair it. You've just got this big gash yeah. cutting the planet now. Yes, exactly. And and I guarantee you, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse because there's scenes, and again, I don't know how close I'm going to hew to the book. It doesn't take long in that original trilogy before Trantor is basically abandoned. So you go from this place being like a giant city planet, almost like the Death Star, you know, to being like abandoned, an abandoned parking lot, really, like within 100 years. It's just insane how quickly Trantor mm-hmm. just... So I'm expecting in season two, you're already going to see chaos. In other words, it's not going to be everything is great, but there's this damage from the Star Bridge. It's going to be that's the wound that festers and just gets bigger and bigger, and they're going to start pulling metal away and exposing the earth again, and growing crops, you know, in the in the earth again, and all that metal is going to get thrown away, and then that's when the the pirates and raiders come to to take the metal and go and build stuff and all. That's, that's going to be really interesting. How much they can cram in, how quickly they want to do it. I'm really fascinated by that. But yeah, the about the plot though, a couple other things. I didn't I always figured that lady was up to something but I I was thinking way too simply. I was thinking that she was um um just going to be the the catalyst that causes him to go off and get in trouble. But they didn't waste any time in bringing in and and you call them the bad guys and I'm like were they I mean they're they're terrorists to a degree. Well they're the and or if this, if this show is framed another way they're the rebellion. Yes. You know, in Star yes. Wars, they're the rebels. That's who mm-hmm. those people were. That mm-hmm. was Princess Leia or whatever. So. Yeah, if we had just spent eight hours from the perspective of Grand Moff Tarkin and Admiral Taggy, you know, and all that, and all of a sudden these people show up with blasters and blowing up the... We'd be like, hey, who's that old man in the brown robe? Who's this kid with the blonde hair? Who's this Who's this space pirate in his carpet? You know, what's that <laughs> all Trying to undermine the dynasty. Yes, Exactly. Oh, poor Palpatine. He doesn't deserve all this. What did he ever do? You know, I, the, the Space Bridge, the Death Stars. Yeah, pretty close. All right, a couple of technology <laughs> things. The Invictus, any thoughts about that? We got this big, round, super battle uh, Star Destroyer thing now that, he, that uh, was it Hugo's going to be driving? Yeah, but also like the idea that at the beginning it was kind of just messed up and leaping around, and that's what their whole plan was about. The idea was to find this really great, that was cool. Before it teleported away again, and so that was a cool plot idea, I think. Yeah. Um, and the idea that like the, now the rebels have a ship that gives them an advantage is a cool thing. So. Yeah, I f- I feel like there's going to be more Invicti coming pretty soon, and maybe that's where some of that metal from Trantor ends up is building a fleet of uh, Foundation slash Anacreon slash the other people. Whatever. The third, I, yeah, the, I got the, I, I, the, 
The Baba Bobbles. I can never remember the names. I uh-huh. I think of like one of them we used wood and one of them used like metal or leather or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And that's how I thought of the, the two tribes is like the wood tribe and the, the leather <laughs> tribe or whatever. I, I the only I hundred percent agree. The only reason I can remember anacreons is it sounds like anachronism, and that's kind of what they're supposed to be. Yeah, it's so supposed to. That's and he, supposed by to. the way, Hugo, her, the uh, Salver's boyfriend, that ends up captaining Invictus. He's got to be named for like the Hugo Award, right, or Hugo Gernsback or something. Surely that's because he's not in the. I don't think he's in the books. I think that's uh, David Goyer. Um, the vault. All right. I understand that in the books you have the vault. It's like an actual vault, and it opens up on Terminus every hundred years or so when there's a crisis. And Harry comes out and is like, I, I know what's going on right now. You're having trouble with this people and with this. And, you know, I'm sure you're already doing this, but just in case, make sure you do that. And the, 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 they, so they basically turn that into a, a cool CGI effect. But I felt like that was at least two degrees of how cute can we be too much because who looks at that floating H or whatever and says, oh, that's the vault. I'd be like the UFO maybe. Why would they call it the vault other than it's the vault in the book? Exactly. But also like they didn't bring it with them. No. It was already there. So they thought it was some alien thing instead of something that Harry set up. And it knocks people out. Yes, it, it, it like actively hurts people get too close. And and so, again, ju- I'm just going to throw this out there again. Harry put that on their planet and didn't tell him about it. <laughs> Where did he get the money and the resources uh, to? I don't know. I, I, well, again, he's good at statistics. He was good at investing or something. But, That's it. But also, Harry. like, the only <laughs> the only reason they that, that, that they saved the day was because Salver Harden could get to it, right? Yes. What if she yeah. wasn't there? Yeah. What if C died well, was, or was off planet or it something? It was supposed so. to be Gale. Right. And Gale and, and so again and Gale wasn't he there. built this thing with the idea that what, what if Gale's ship crashed on reentry? Does the whole vault never get opened? Like that just that part is dumb, I think. Yeah. Uh, From top to bottom, I, I agree. it annoyed me. I agree. It was a you would never call it the vault. You'd call it man, it's that alien artifact out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh absolutely. There's no reason to call it the vault. Um, and you build a big freaking fence around it. <laughs> yes. Um, I got to say this, though. My favorite thing so far in the book, in the three books that I've read, I've only read, read two books and a little bit of the third. This is the coolest thing, right? Harry always pops up during the crisis, knows exactly what's going on. And if they hadn't figured out what to do yet, he tells them what to do. All right. There's a bit in the second book where the this big crisis underway involving the mule, okay, and this is like the whole galaxy is going to be conquered by this mutant mind, like basically Professor X. And they're like, man, we need Harry to hurry up and tell us what to do. We need Harry to tell us what to do. The vault opens up. Harry's picture comes out. And he says, yes, I'm, basically I'm totally making this up, but this is what he does, right? He comes out and says, yes, I know you're having trouble with that planet over there and their army. But I'm sure by now you figured out the thing to do is like economic sanctions, you know, and give them some nuclear power or whatever, and that'll take care of it, and they'll be your buddies. And all the people are like, uh, no, <laughs> there's the mule. <laughs> Harry, what about the mule? He's like, all right, good luck with that. Bye. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, because, see, he was fallible when it came to individual actions. He could predict like the planets doing the line alliances and stuff, but he couldn't predict the mule. And they're just like, 
they are absolutely, their legs are cut out from under him because he has no idea. But then, of course, he did have the fail safe, and that's the second foundation. And also because he depend, they depended on him. Too much. Right, to solve their problems yes. for him. Yes. yes. 100%. Too much, too much, too much, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it, they do say, by the way, one of the, one of the scientists there says, well, you know, we probably would have had a war with that planet if the mule hadn't shown up. So, in other words, they're basically saying, oh, he would have been right. Except that this random factor blows in. Magnifico! Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you, you know, all right, that's his other name. All right, uh, let's see. Last few things here. We're almost out of time. So what has been your favorite moment or moments so far? As you think back over the show, I know you're putting on the spot, but what's kind of stood out for you is, man, that was really cool. Um, I, I think the... The Lee Pace do it, you know, deciding going to confront the religious group and then doing the walk thing was interesting. That, that was, was a big moment. Um, I think, um, you know, Salvar Harden kind of rescuing the her people from the from the initial attack. That was a cool sequence, I think. Yeah. Um, and then and then going off to do the the thing with the the Invictus. That was cool. Okay. Um, and then and then the you know the I, I, because I didn't expect it that. You know the the part with Gale where Rage kills Harry and then pushes Gale into the ship. I, like I didn't see that coming. I was what, like, "Wait, what, what the crap is? What yeah, is yes, that was nuts." Gave her the knife and put yeah. her in that thing, and she's just so shocked she can't do anything but do what he tells her. Yeah, yeah that was crazy. Um, I think that my favorite moment so far one was the whole bit where the where Brother Dawn escapes, and for a minute you think he's going to get away. And then he gets captured by the terrorists, and you're like, oh, no. And then he gets liberated, and it's even worse in some ways because now he's captured by his own people. And, of course, that leads to the big murder by, the, by Demerzel. So yeah. every, every, that whole yeah, part of, I guess that was episode nine maybe, right? The whole thing leading up to his death was just really shocking, and, and, and they yes. didn't telegraph it. And I also 100%. really, really liked... Um, I liked the how the the battle on Terminus kind of came to a conclusion with everybody kind of a reluctant, cautious peace and a, a reluctant alliance. They don't like each other, but they're like, you know, we can team up against a common enemy. And I liked, um, I was just utterly fascinated at the end when, when Gail is in her little pod and it pops out the Apollo 11 parachutes. And drops her in the water, and then a freaking kayak pops out, right, with a paddle. And I'm just like, man, what if she landed on a desert planet? <laughs> she had a great boat for the desert, you know. But um, and then she well, finds it would have done something different, right? I think. Yeah, I guess it. I guess so. Yeah, that's that technology they don't understand anymore. I gotta tell you, by the way, again, this this the stuff like that that comes out of Foundation all goes straight into like Warhammer forty thousand and all that. Warhammer 40,000 is absolutely if the mule was this really big charismatic guy and not like a little scrawny guy and had conquered the universe and had 20 sons who were all Superman. That is Warhammer 40,000. It comes, it's Dune and Foundation kind of kludged together in that way. And it's, that's one of the things that makes it so cool. What, what have you been disappointed in, if anything? I mean, I guess the rest of the people in the Foundation. <laughs> right, like it was like I hear a bunch of losers. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought they, I thought they do something. Yeah, you know? and then mm-hmm. what are they doing? They're just, 
So that part was. Mm. Um, uh, Harry's like, in retrospect, maybe I should have hi, I should have brought soldiers who could also do encyclopedia research rather than encyclopedia researchers that don't know which which end of the gun to point. Yeah. Yeah, they they could have easily been wiped out. Yeah, so, and and would have. Um, I think that what the least favorite part. I think it's just how slow the beginning was. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too. I agree. Part. I agree. It's yeah. It it just because we know how much better it gets. I wish that it. I wish that there wasn't that sort of slow paced off puttedness to the first couple. I, I hope they don't lose too much of the audience. Apparently, it's been doing pretty well. They went ahead and renewed it for a second season mm-hmm. and. I hope that that's true, and I feel like you're going to get an for this. You're going to get an intelligent audience, right? This is not a show that dummies are going to, you know, they're not going to switch over from, you know, low, 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 low brow entertainment of whatever kind. Nothing wrong with that, but they're not going to switch over from that to to this. I mean, this is a show for people that want to think and want to and, and want a challenging story. I think, and that's what they get. Um, Agree. What are what are you kind of um, what are you kind of hoping for? And this is basically my last question. What are we kind of hoping we'll see coming up? How much do you hope they get into season two? Where do you want it to go? How slow or how fast do you want this thing to go? I guess I I, I read that their their original plan had eight seasons Man. of ten episodes each. Okay. Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, but I'm I'm also concerned if they delay the good stuff too much, they don't get there. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. You can't slow boil it to the level that there's no good stuff in season two. No. You got to have something else good in season two. I'm just yeah. putting that out there. Something different, a big twist, a big leap forward, whatever. Yes. I also like that it's a part of it is the idea that this show is going to take place over a very long period of time. So there's going to be different characters that come and go. Yeah. Interesting, huh? So I, I like that idea too. That maybe there will be a different wave of actors kind of mm-hmm. coming in in the middle mm-hmm. parts, and there'll be uh, maybe one or two of the original people will still be around, but not everybody. Well, if the whole um, show's timeline is jumped to where S- Gale and Salver are, we're pretty much going to have different people when we start back up, unless we go back in time uh, to our main timeline. Well, uh, original different people, other than again the genetic dynasty, because they don't change, and the robot. So those yeah. people could still be the same for the short term. Um, to, to, to one degree or another, although they might have three arms and four eyes and stuff by that yeah. point with the genetic drift. Yeah, that's um, I think um, you're absolutely right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's what I was going to say. Like I, I think it, I don't know what I, else I expect, but I, I want to see the Empire fall, right? That's what the show's mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. So I want to see, you know, what happens. And, and we ha- we've seen... There's like these rebels, but they're like street people rebels, right? Yeah, I, yeah. We haven't seen anybody up here at the top of the, the power structure taking a swing at the emperors either, and I think we're going to see some of that. So. Um, I, th- I think you're exactly right that they do need to bring in good stuff earlier. The, you know, the books are very much episodic, like, and then this happens in its entirety and it's done. And then this happens in its entirety and it's done. They need to restructure the show, and I think they will, to where like you introduce, you could introduce uh, General, I think General Bell Rios. He's, he's, I, I think his name is is Bell Rios. He's he's modeled after Belisarius from Emperor Justinian. In other words, he's like the last great general of the empire before it collapses, and he he makes a 
one last effort to reconquer everything, kind of like Justinian did under with, Bel- with Belisarius before the end, you know, because the, the Byzantines did come mm-hmm. really close to bringing the West back into the empire. And then, you know, yep. within a generation, it was gone again. They just couldn't go up against the entire barbarian world. And I, so they have, they have Bel Rios as that character. And I think we're definitely going to see him in season two, even though we probably shouldn't yet. Um, I would not be surprised if somewhere late in season two, we get a little glimpse of the mule he doesn't become like a main character yet, but I would not be surprised if somebody shows up with a court jester and we're like, oh, who's that guy? Nobody important. Don't pay any attention to him. Because, yeah, you're right. you got to start building for that stuff. You can't just do it episodically. By se- I mean, the, the books treat what, would, what, we, we, what we see in the show as like, as, as like episodes, and you can't make each season an episode. That's too long to wait. And it's gonna you're gonna lose your audience. You've got to make That's it right. one big story with everything together. Yeah, exactly um, connected. Connected, right? So that's what I really want to see. Okay, um, I'm sure there's lots of other stuff that we could talk about or think about. But I can't think of. So, do you have any final thoughts? Kind of wrap, wrap, put a bow on foundation to this point. Um, I think I think it's interesting just what it's trying to say about kind of the future of human civilization about the things we've talked about stagnation te- the technology and the influence of that on on humans and, and also like um you know whether they embrace it or reject it or that kind of thing but also um you know the ability of humans to live a, a distributed world all these different star systems and worlds and how would they be governed and how would it work and that kind of thing too so. um i think my last thought is I know that the purists, and there's always purists, I understand that. I understand their complaints that it does go a little bit afield from what they were hoping for. But I feel very strongly that if this show was a direct adaptation of those books, nobody but they would be the only people watching it. And I guarantee you, inside their heart of hearts, they'd be bored because it doesn't translate well. And I don't, I don't think from book into, and so I think that David Goyer, I give him tons of credit. He's found a way to take the basic ideas, the basic themes, and make them visually interesting and attractive, and uh, and fun. And after the first couple of episodes, and, kind of fun. And not everything can be easily adapted. I'm a purist about a lot of stuff, um, but it's. I, so I get it. If you want to say it's more like inspired by a foundation and not the foundation book story, yeah. it's fine. They don't, you know, um, and I get that if you're a purist and, and you don't like it, but it's also like, this is as close as you're ever going to get if you like that stuff. And it's good science fiction. So I like it. Yeah. You were never, ever, ever going to get a studio that was going to do this thing. In fact, um, like I said, the first book is done as a series of short stories. And one of the things I've heard David Goyer say is the first thing that Apple said to him was, you cannot do this as an anthology show. Because he, you know, he said, you know, if we do it like the books, then basically it'll be like Black Mirror, you know, yeah. you know, episode, you know like not, ep- not, not a continuing story, but sort of vignettes. And they're like, mm-hmm. you can't do it that way. You need to make this into one narrative. And that's what he's done. And I think he's done about as good of a job as it could be done. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, again, Apple ponied up the money. Yes. To do it the right way. So yes. you could have had the sci-fi version of Dune with the pure story, or you could have this. So you 
Pick what you want and be happy. We need to be grateful that Sci-Fi Channel never did this. Because <laughs> you'd have Sharknado-level foundation, man. Oh, my gosh. That would be interesting. I mean, it would be. That's one word for it. <laughs> that's a few other words, too, I think. All right. All right. Well, this is cool. All right. So we have delivered our verdict on season one of Foundation on Apple Plus and that it is good and that we recommend it and we really like it. It's not my favorite thing ever, but I mean, it's up there. I yeah. really think it's, it's worthy. Um, it's entertaining. Again, it's not The Mandalorian and Boba Fett, but few things are for me, it's, but it's up there. So uh, I'm really looking forward to season two and I guess we will reconvene in the future, no pun intended, when, um, when it's time to talk about season two. All right, thanks a bunch, John. And now, before we go, we have to thank the fine folks who make shows like this on this network possible. And you can join their ranks. Go to patreon.com and just search White Rocket or Van Plexico. Either one will get you there and sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And you can be part of the family that keeps our programs going, keeps the lights on in the studio and pays the bills. Here are the fine folks we always thank who are currently doing just that. They include Samuel Salvatore. Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Dr. Crackham, Patrick Hayes, Allison Rich, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Matthew Flowers, Michael Kirster, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, A.U. Falling Up, Auburn Tiger Talk, Ben Bloodworth, Brian's Not Harson Around, Chris Thrash, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, Bobby, for the love of Pete, please don't lose the bowl game, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Old Mrs. Medical Staff, Algorithm, Paul Miles, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Hammett, his arms wide, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Theodore Gary, Valiant Hermes. Virginia Double Dribbled, WDE Ritchie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Auburn Blue, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Brandon Smith, Buddy is a much better elf than Saban, Car Carter Glaus, Cato the Barner, Chris the Hilton, Colby Butler, Corey Smyre, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Diabama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Heather, and Yancey Steingraber. Helping Van upgrade his insulation. Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kanoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton. Listen to HellbentATL.com and Smoke Weed Every Day. Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Russell Milling, Saban Needs a New Toupee, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, This is the Year, Tim Pittman, Timothy, Tony Perry, Weagle87, After the Iron Bowl, bowl I Ate Some Bugs, Ate Some Grass, Used to hand My Hand to Wipe My Tears, and Alex Nguyen, plus finally, because there's quite a few, Alex Quirard Says War Eagle, Brian Pittman is my best friend, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Hanshu, Ben Rigas, Betty Botter, Brian Albanese, uh, C. Braun, Charles Mooney, Chris Como. 
Colonel Dad, Construction Tiger, Daniel Barnett, David Smiley, Elizabeth Donald, Household Char, sounds great on New Year's Day since there's nothing else going on. Ice Cream Clone. I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrick, Jeremiah Schumann, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, John Soundboard, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kenneth Brent Rains, Michael Halbrook, Michael O'Connor, MVP, Captivated Kathy Bright, Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, Royce Alvarez, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Sarah Browns, Spanky Big Boutet, John and Van and Monkey Boys, Stephen Thompson, the Aubie Strangling Big Al Ornament, I like it, Trevor Johnson, Brant Rumble, Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. Again, we thank you all, and we will add your name or whatever statement you want to put there, uh, as long as it'll fit in the box on Patreon. Uh, I'll thank you every episode of our shows. Go to www.patreon.com and search for White Rocket or Van Plexico, or just go to www.plexico.net, and I have a link there too. All right, we appreciate it, and we will see you guys down the road. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.